Hebrews chapter 4 with me. Uh, We've been making our way through the book of Hebrews, and we're getting to verse 12 and 13. Although, even though I say that, uh, I'll tell you this, I I already already know it's a a one-part message of at least two. (laughs) Um, It's such a great portion, but Hebrews 4, if you need to borrow a Bible, thank you, Fred. Fred has a whole stack of them, English and Japanese. You just got to kind of raise your hand. Uh, and we'll get you one, get a Bible to you. I entitled the message this morning, really just taken from that first part of verse 12, the word of God is, you know, dot, dot, dot. And then the writer will give us uh, some things. Uh, of course, this is not an exhaustive list. It's more than this. But uh, for our time this morning, we'll look at that, okay? So again, on the front end of this, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness and patience. And thank you for bearing with me. Uh, we're going to park here, and I, it's, it's a longer intro than we normally have. There are some things I want to be able to, to share with you, okay? All right. Well, if you're there, I think most of you know the routine. I'm going to ask you to stand. Really, we do so in honor of God, in honor of His Word. And I'll read verse 12 and 13 just to help keep our context. Remember the writer. We don't know who it is exactly, but we do know the, he's inspired of God's Spirit writing these words. We're told, for the word of God is living and powerful. And then he likens it to a a sword sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Such a great um, couple of verses. But we'll park there. We're going to pray. Listen, today is also uh, a bittersweet day in that we're praying for the Breast family. Uh, We love them. They're going to be taken off this week. I don't even want to look at them. I'm going to cry. What a joy. What a treasure they have been for us. But uh, we want to pray for them as well. Okay. Father, thank you for our time this morning. We agree with the psalmist who declare that your word is like a, a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path. Lord, it's by your word in which we grow in our faith. It's by your word in which we come to know the God of the universe and whom loved us so much that he sent his son to, to die for us and our sins. Lord, it's by your word that we understand then your heart and your will for us to know where we should go and how we should go. And it's even by your word, Lord, which empowers us to go that way. So, Father, I pray that you would come by your spirit, grant us ears to hear and a heart to understand and to obey. And, Lord, we thank you for the blessing of family how families are made at the foot of the cross, and we thank you for the breasts, and Lord, how we love them. We're so grateful for them, Lord. We're going to miss them tremendously. It's so bittersweet, but Lord, we're also excited for them, and then our next chapter as they head back stateside, and all that you have for them. And so, Father, bless them, we pray, and just open your windows of heaven, and just pour out grace upon grace for them. We look forward, as we pray so often, to hearing and seeing of the good things that you'll continue to do in and through their lives. And Lord, I pray they'll know that they uh, are forever family for us. 
So we commit our time to you. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. You can turn around, say hello, wave at somebody, or elbow bump them. If any of you make a good salsa, come talk with me. Gary is leaving, so I need someone to be my salsa person. So. <laughs> you've been in church for some time, you've probably have been taught this verse and exposed to this verse. It's a verse like this that when we come to, or verses like this when we come to, that speak to something really so important, and I would say even foundational to our faith, we want to, I think it's good from time to time just to take pause and to, to unpack it, you know, to consider the content and really what it's saying. Again, as I mentioned, uh, I can tell you now that uh, this is part one of uh, at least a two-part message. We'll see how the Spirit leads. But today's passage not only brings us into the next thought that the writer Hebrews has, and I want to make sure we keep the text within context, that's important for us, but also uh, to understand it also brings us to a major theme, not only of the book of Hebrews, but I would say of our Christian faith. And, uh, of course, I, I will do my best, as the Lord enables me to do so, to explain what this means and how it fits into the rest of what the writer is saying. But, but it really essentially kind of addresses the essential of our faith. It speaks to the, to the very function of our church, in fact, of a core value that we hold here at Calvary Chapel, of esteeming the Word of God. And and so along with me teaching and wanting to do my best to explain what God's Word says and what it means and how it applies to our lives, uh, I, I want to fold into this message really a part of me, my own heart, uh, for you and for me and for our church. And part of my heart of why, uh, you know, how it relates to the, to the priority that we give to the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God, the place that we give really to the public reading, the studying, and uh, maybe you know this word, right? The exposition of the explaining of the Bible text, right? The, the preaching that, uh, of this word that's in this place at this pulpit and really what I believe to be vital in all of our lives. And so again, I, I thank you that you would bear with me as I um, have a number of things to say before we actually get to the text. Part of it is, again, I want to share my passion with you guys. You know, there are a few subjects that can that can really excite me and, and fire me up. I mean, if you've been here for a while, you know I'm not, I'm not the most demonstrative, you know, speaker. I'm not like one of those guys that paces around and gets really energized. You know, I'm like, I'm like Linus in the Peanuts cartoon. Like, this is my blanket. I'm usually just kind of here uh, in my pocket, you know, right here. Um, but there are a few things that can get me excited. Uh, donuts is one. Don't I get pretty excited about donuts, right? Mr. Donuts and, uh, you know. Uh, Star Trek is another, uh, especially the new ones compared to the old ones. Like, yeah, I can geek out pretty, pretty hard on Star Trek. Uh, the other one that can fire me up recently is just the, uh, the hypocrisy of mainstream media lately and just all, you know, fake news and all these things. I, I can really get going on that. But uh, far above Boston Creams and Spock and CNN, uh, the Word of God is something that uh, really, oh, did I say that out loud? Did I say that out loud? news, the news. Uh, everything about the Bible, you know, it's veracity, the historical record, uh, 
the composition of the scripture, the, the prophecies that we find within. I mean, I mean, you pick a topic. It, it, it's exciting to me. And, and then even for me, uh, by God's grace, to allow me then to be a person that gets to study it and then teach it and share it. Like, I, I do pray that amongst everything that that part of me, you know, comes forth as well as I have the honor and really the privilege and responsibility of teaching the Word because it's not just my profession. I don't come to this thing, oh, this is my job. I mean, this is my passion. And it is a passion that I believe that we should all share, though, as followers of Jesus Christ. It's not just reserved for pastors and preachers and Sunday school teachers, but, but, but church, I want to say this is a passion that every single one of us, if you name the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that this is a passion that you too should have. Now, sometimes we, we connect with people on different passions, right? If you talk with my wife uh, for more than five minutes, you, you know, she will stir the conversation to gut health and pro- probiotics. You know, if you come to my house, it's a, it looks like a mad scientist laboratory. You know, she has like her kombucha and all these things. And, and so you talk with Christy and then she starts going on like all these podcasts. I'm like, okay, I'll see you later. A couple of hours, you know, I'm, I'm going to Mr. Donut. I'll just see you later, you know, so... <laughs> You know, and some of you are passionate about these things. Some of you are passionate uh, about running, right? Karen and others, I, I see your posts. I'm eating my Pocky stick, scrolling. I'm like, look at that. Look at how far they ran. Good, you know, good for her. That's, you know. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not passionate about running. And it's okay. It's fun to have these things. You know, photography and baking and all. I mean, you know, just various things, right? I mean, some of you are into co- really into coffee, you know. So spending all your COVID relief money on coffee and cafes, I... I see you. Listen, all those things are good things. Uh, and so geek out on all those things. So the glory of God, right? You have that freedom. But, but church family, when it, when it comes to the scripture, when it comes to this book that you are holding, or at least the app, if you're having that this morning, listen, the tremendous privilege that God has given us that we get to possess our own copy of the Bible. Can I ask this in a loving, and as the, the Spirit convicted me, where does learning and living according to the Word of God rank on your priority scale? Where does that rank in terms of your passions and things that get you excited? Because dare I say, it should be close to the top, if not the top. Right? Listen, I, I realize I want to be a, uh, a workman, not a shame, rightly dividing the Word of Truth as uh, I've been commissioned to do. That Verses 12 and 13, in themselves, they are declarative. The writer is just giving us facts about the Word of God, but I, I think there's room there and permission uh, by the Spirit that I want to take what's declarative this morning and make them into imperatives. Right? I want to take what's descriptive and make it prescriptive. So that as we read these things, that we can then uh, formulate some questions and, and really, hopefully, application is what we're talking about, right? You know, recently... Um, been trying to do a little bit better at what I'm eating and watching what I'm eating and uh, lowering my carbs and these things. And, and it's not as though I didn't know that sugar and too much sugar, uh, you know, and carbs were not good for my health. I mean, I knew that before. I just didn't care. You know, that's really what it. <laughs> yeah, you know, that excessive carbs and sweets might be really yummy, but uh, they weren't the best choice for me because I'm not posting how far I'm running because I don't run. You know, for you guys, you can go for it, but for me, I can't. 
And so while I knew these things, I, I didn't really do anything about these things. Right? I had the head knowledge. I understood it. You didn't have to convince me. Uh, I just didn't make it applicational. And so at the encouragement of some friends, and my wife included, what was descriptive have, has become prescriptive for me. Right? Information becomes application. And hopefully application then becomes transformation. And, and that's exactly what I want to share with you regarding the scripture this morning. The importance of the Bible and why we read it. It's not just for information. Right? God, God gives us information, but the information has a means, and that is then that our hearts will be transformed. That as we gather together and open a scripture, as we have this time of study together, oh, this is in my notes. I'm so sorry, Yumi. Dijovo, you ready? You've heard, hopefully you've heard me say this before. You know, there, there's... For us in our church, and the other churches can do it different ways, right, in terms of the way that we study, but we, we generally just we pick a book and we go chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And so uh, next week I'm going to be back in verse 12 and 13. And, and part of that's by design in that, uh, I think it was Tozer that said, you know, it takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Uh, in that by design that uh, in one sense it forces us to uh, come to some verses that maybe otherwise I would avoid. And so we have to tackle some necessary and some hard things at times. Uh, but you, the format that we use, also most of you know, and so my encouragement to you is to read ahead so that when we gather together and I share what God gave to me in my heart, that it doesn't just become then uh, informational for you. You're like, wow, I didn't know that. But I pray that it would become confirmational for you. So that you'd be like, man, the Lord spoke to me the same thing. And so then as you have read, and then I read, and I share with you what God gave to me, that then it'll just help confirm what God gave to you as well. But listen, we don't just gather just for mere head knowledge, right? I, man, I, I will have failed you if I just come and give you a lecture. And if we don't you know, allow the Spirit to move us to the place that when we study the scriptures, in and itself is not the end. It is a means for us to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to leave here more in love with Jesus. Now, God has ordained this as his format in which we then come to that. So I want to share with these things with you. And perhaps it's already a strength in your life. I mean, I, I hope the reason that uh, many of you have chosen uh, you know, Calvary Okinawa to be your church home in this season is because, in fact, we give attention and give priority and we give a lot of time, you know, to the reading and the exposition of the Word of God. I, I don't think that you've come for my jokes. I hope that you haven't. I'll, you'll be sorely disappointed, you know, because they're mostly just groaners anyways, right? See, my, my aim here is I believe the Lord gave this commission for me in this church from day one is to rightly divide the word of truth. I'm going to stand before the Lord one day and I take this very serious and give an account for what I said and how I taught, and, right? Because you belong to Jesus. I'm just merely the under-shepherd to our good shepherd, our chief shepherd, who one day will appear. But you are the flock of God. And so by tremendous privilege and joyful privilege, I, have to, I get to stand before you and teach and love and feed and, you know, to the best of my ability. So help me, God, by the Spirit of the Lord. But this is our focus. 
and this will remain our focus. I mean, certainly in parallel, you know, we want to, uh, you know, have make, love you well and tend you well and have fellowship. And I mean, all the other things that come with it, right? Have community together. And certainly we can break bread and, you know, we want to be disciples who make disciples. But I don't have to convince you there are other churches and other ministries who take a very different focus, right? You go there and their atmosphere and what they do and even how they call their services, you know, experiences and, you know, not that those titles and labels are inherently bad in themselves, but they sometimes convey just something else, a completely different focus. And sometimes, you know, you don't even need to open a Bible. Gang, I want you to bring your Bibles. You know, at best, sometimes the preacher will say, let me see your Bibles. And people hold them up, they're like, okay, then put them away, you know. And off into a little story they go, and the message is, and I've been in those churches too. You know, there's a part of me my spirit gets grieved. Have you experienced that? You know, it's just watered down. It's fluffy. There's no, there's no substance there. You're just kind of like, oh, what happened? And yet, sadly, I think that's what's filling a lot of pulpits these days. And I'm afraid for God's people. I, I do not want to contribute to feeding you spiritual junk food. I too many Christians are spiritually malnourished. And as a result, they neither feed themselves nor do they then have an appetite to go and get simple Bible teaching. Because what has replaced that? Again, this is by observation. I'm afraid what's replaced that is entertainment. Right? Where we, we want to then be entertained. And so when that moves in, when we haven't fostered a spiritual appetite for God's word and the things of God, that's the one we look for. That's the criteria in which then determines where we're going to plug in. Was, was I, you know, did I enjoy myself? How was I entertained? Now, don't get me wrong. Listen, it's not that we can't enjoy ourselves. Right? The Bible is full of joy. We've been exhorted to rejoice or to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. I mean, you know, we, we should be able to have a time where we can enjoy ourselves. And certainly, you know, I think there's room for sanctified humor and these kind of things. But uh, we don't want to make that our aim. Does that make sense? And, and by observation, and again, these things in themselves aren't necessarily wrong, but when churches begin to have laser light shows and fog machines and giveaways and concerts and, you know, and rallies... And, and, and people show up and it's, you know, it's sermon at cotton candy is what they're serving. I worry. The Bible tells us that in the last days, that's going to be the landscape. Paul writes to Timothy. Now, mind you, this is 2,000 years ago. And he makes this prophetic uh, descriptor of what's going to happen. He says, in the last days, there's going to be a time where people won't. And I love the phrase he uses, endure sound doctrine. Thank you guys for coming. I realize sometimes you're like, man, I endured that. Yes, you did. You endured it a little bit. But they don't want to endure sound doctrine. What do they do? But rather, right? but rather, I'll paraphrase, because they want to be entertained, because they've given something else priority. They gather around themselves, they heap up for themselves teachers who then will just tell them what they want to hear because they want their ears to be tickled. The idea, they just want to hear what they want to hear. They don't want to hear that, oh, God says sin is bad and we need to repent. Right? You know, we, we, again, by observation, I feel like 
there's a danger, even for all of us, right, to just come to a place where we treat God's scripture and the things of the Lord like a salad bar, right? Salad bar Christianity. I'll take this and I'll take this, but, you know, like you go to the salad, at least when I go to the salad bar, right? I'm not eating those baby carrots. Those things are, what are they? They're an abomination, right? And I don't eat beets because it just makes your whole salad red, right? That's okay at a salad bar. You can pick and choose, but when you come to scripture, listen, don't pick and choose, even the idea of disciplining ourselves into godliness. So in the last days, this is going to be a sign. And, you know, through the prophet Amos, God actually declares that there's going to be a time in which there's going to be a famine, a famine not of crops, a drought not of water, but there's going to be a famine of the hearing of the words of the Lord. It says a day is coming, and I, and I wonder if that day is here. A good friend of mine, posted a, a, a recent study um, through one of the universities in the East Coast. I forget, so I apologize. But it was in conjunction with a research group called Barna, which often does a lot of uh, research with churches and Christians uh, in the United States, though. So, and so this recent study that came out last week said that 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview, while 88% say they own a Bible. 88% of American households say they own a Bible, and yet 6% say they have a biblical worldview. And that study went on to say that at least uh, the average Christian household has at least four Bibles. You guys have at least four Bibles in your house? It's great that we have, and you know, the question and the challenge is, are we reading it is really what it amounts to. Again, in this context, we have been warned already, back in chapter 2, the writer has told his reader we must give heed, a more earnest heed, give more attention to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. And the idea there is to hear the things that we heard is the gospel, the things that we heard is the word of God, lest we drift away. And we realize and we, when we were there at that passage that there can, is, not can be, there is a, a subtle moving away or I guess there can be, you know, of our attention and devotion to the word of God. And it's so easy to drift, isn't it? Other things can quickly take the place of devotions in the morning or at or lunchtime or evening. There are other things, you know, little electronic devices we carry around in our pocket that chirp at us and bing at us and ding and vibrate that, you know, seek our attention. And what is a strength today, if not exercise, can become a weakness later. In the Old Testament, there's this account in uh, 2 Kings 20, 22? 2.22. No, it's 22. 2 Kings 22. Here, I'll move around. I'll be one of those guys that moves around now. Okay. Um, so in 2 Kings 22, uh, there's a new king, new king of Judah. We're introduced to him. He's eight years old. Anybody have an eight-year-old? Imagine your eight-year-old is a new king. His name's Josiah. But he's eight years old. Um, so the high priest at the time, the guy's name's um, Hilkiah, basically kind of his mentor, like an uncle to him, and helps to raise him in the ways of the Lord. Uh, Eighteen years later, so he turns 26 years old, and then Josiah, who's still the king, says, man, God's temple's been just left untouched. It's jalopitated. It's broken down. We need to, we need to do a remodel of it. We need to go 
you know, refurbish it. So he commissions, and he gets all this money, and they basically, you know, hire contractors, and, and it's the priests and the, the Levites that are in charge of this building project. And the craziest thing happens is they're cleaning out the temple of God. The high priest, Hilkiah, comes, and he finds another guy by the name of Shaphan, who's a scribe, and he says, guess what I found? Anybody know what he found for a thousand points? The Bible. He finds, he says, I found the law of the Lord. And you would think, oh yeah, no, duh, you're at church. Be like, hey, I found a Bible. Like, okay, yeah, we're at church, you should sign a Bible, right? No, the idea is that for 57 years, they didn't have the scripture. For 57 years, the scroll, if you will, the Bible sat on a shelf along with the other things, just collecting dust. You know, what, what can be a strength in our, in our life in one season, if neglected, quickly can become a weakness for us. And again, we have to be careful. We don't want that to happen to us. And when was the last time that you opened your Bible outside of Sunday morning or Wednesday night and you just read it for yourself? Or is the Bible something that's sitting on a shelf or an app that you rarely open, if you will, it's collecting dust? I, I pray that it's not. Gang, we want to be, we need to be people of the book. And, and a church that's committed to reading and studying and living the scriptures. But it is not enough just to come and get fed one day a week. You, you will be spiritually weak if this is your only feeding. Now again, I want to do my best as we make our way through the Bible to teach the Bible nothing but the Bible. Another observation I made, you know, as you make your way through Scripture, one of the things that you can't escape and very quickly comes to the forefront is that uh, God would hold his name in very high esteem and reverence. And so did the people of God. It begins even, you know, way back with Moses, in fact, right? When Moses gets commissioned and he says, okay, uh, by whose authority am I going to go and tell Pharaoh, one of the most, you know, strongest military nations at the time, that you need to let these Hebrew people go? Who, who, by whose authority am I going to say that I'm going on? And God says to him, you can say, I am that I am sent you. God declares of himself, right, all that he is. He is the great I am. Later on, when God gives Moses the law of God, the third one in is that you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Right? The name of God was to be esteemed and reverend. And all throughout the scripture, we get the different names of God, how he revealed himself to people, that he is God Almighty, he's the God who sees, he's the God who heals, he's the God who hears. And that follows then even Jesus when he comes to the, right, we get into the New Testament, even when the, the, you know, the, the, the mob shows up there in the Garden of Gethsemane and they say, yeah, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am. The Bible says that there's no other name given under heaven in which we must be saved. There's no other name in which, you know, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Lord Jesus Christ, right? His name is powerful. His name is to be revered. I mean, even today, uh, you know, with amongst devout Jews, they don't say the name of God. They just say the name. And anytime it's written out, even in the Old Testament, you find this, you know, if you ever 
uh, read in your Bible, and sometimes you come across, it looks like, like almost like little case, but all capitals, L-O-R-D, Lord. What was originally in there in the Hebrew is just four letters, Y-H-W-H. That was the name of the Lord. But so holy was the name of the Lord, they didn't include the vowels. It's just the consonants. And so later on, people were like, oh, how do you pronounce that? And that's where we get Jehovah from or Yahweh from. But the name of the Lord was to be revered. And even when the scribes would copy the manuscripts of the, of the Torah and the text. Anytime they came to the name of the Lord, they'd stop, they would do a ceremonial prayer, they'd wash their hands, pick up their pen, and they'd keep writing. And if they came to the name of the Lord, they'd stop, they would ceremonially wash and pray, and they would pick up. Every time they came to the name of the Lord, that's what they would do. They would revere the name of God. And we understand that. Okay, the name of the Lord. A refuge, our strong tower. And yet, when you get to Psalm 138... And you read what David writes in verse 2. It's an astonishing statement. It causes pause. Because inspired by the Spirit himself, David then pens this. He says of the great I am that I am, the true eternal you know, creator God of all the universe, that the Lord would declare for you, speaking of God, right? you have magnified your word above all your name. You think about that how revered the name of God was. I mean, his name was the bedrock of belief, right? Amongst the Hebrews, it was the, one of the most holy things. And yet David declares, there is one thing that God says is even more important than his own name. The great I am declares that my word I exalt even above my name. And gang, if God feels that way about his word, how much more should we See, the writer of Hebrews, this text within context, has been pressing his readers about the importance of staying close to Jesus. They were tempted to kind of go back to the old life. And the writer is making a case, don't do that. You found everything that you need. Jesus is greater than anything. And so he's encouraging them. He's exhorting them. He warns them. He's doing all that he can to say, listen, who Jesus is and what you find in Jesus is greater than anything this life could ever offer. Everything else will disappoint you. Everything else will break down. Everything else is going to fail you. And that's true of life. I mean, you experience that, you know, sometimes even in just with things, certainly sometimes with people. This past week, uh, uh, it was a little, it's kind of funny. I found myself being a little bit emotional, but my microwave died. You're like, why are you emotional? It was a microwave that was actually given to us when we first moved here 20 years ago, our very first week. We've had that thing. It's been just this workhorse. And when I got a little emotional, so I thought, oh, man, that microwave's been with us from two kids to four kids. Like, I don't know how many water bottles it's heated up and cold cups of coffee to stay awake and, you know, uh, an infinite amount of bags of popcorn that thing has, you know, provided for our family. But it's done. It's gone. And so I buried it and cried. And no, just kidding. No, it just reminded me, that's a picture of life. Things will fail us. Things will break. It doesn't, they're not going to last. But Jesus never fails us. And so the writer is saying, draw to the Lord, cling to the Lord. And one of the questions we have is, well, how do we do that? Of all the things that we've already read, I mean, how do we, how do we guard ourselves from drifting away subtly from the Lord? 
How do we keep our hearts from getting hard as he's told us? If you hear the voice of the Lord, don't let your heart get hard. How do we do that? Especially when we're watching this constant injustice and evil and our world is filled with civil disobedience and disru- you know, just disruption and anger and hatred. Like, how do, how do we navigate this, Lord? I mean, how do we keep our bearing even when we experience it in our personal life? And sometimes it feels like the bottom falls out and you get sucker punched. Right? How do we keep our, our, our bearing on that? I mean, how do we, in our most recent passage, how do we allow the rest of God to be ours, that our mind can be at rest and our soul can be at rest? I mean, how do we experience that? Well, this is where I think he drops this in for us. He's told us this is what we should do. Now he's kind of giving us how we, how we can do that. How can we do that? Well, it's through the Word of God. It is in and by the Scripture we can do that. The writer pauses in his discourse to remind us of the source. It's the Word of God that can do that. It's the Word of God that's living. It's the Word of God that's powerful. It's the Word of God that sees where you are, discerns your thoughts. And so, let's unpack this now. So I told you it was a long introduction, right? Verse 12. We're not even going to pack the whole thing. The word of God is living and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Let's just begin at the beginning. The word of God is. I realize uh, many times when I come to this pulpit, I, I come with a, a presupposition. And the presupposition is this, that most of you would agree and hold to the fact that the word of God is the Bible. That when we make reference to the scripture, that you would put an equal sign there to the Bible and you put an equal sign there to the Word of God. I mean, that's what I do. But there are others who would view this book as mere literature, right? When they see it, they don't see it as the Word of God. They just see it as a religious book. They just see it as a collection of poetry or history or prophecy or philosophy. I mean, you can go to some secular colleges and they offer, you know, Bible study, but not as a means of spiritual growth. It's just analysis of text, looking at it, you know, in terms of its literary form and its impact on society and those things. But again, when we come, like the Bible study for us is not that. Certainly the Bible contains poetry and prophecy and history and, you know, there's this great literary forms that the writers use, but it is not merely a textbook for us as though we're just taking some class. I pray that you don't come with that attitude. Like I said before, like th- this is a means in which we can grow our faith. This is a means in which we study so that we can grow closer to the Lord. It's not just uh, one more religious book amongst the many. See, the Bible in itself makes a unique claim of itself. It is the direct revelation of God Almighty Himself. It is the Word of God. And God who then created the universe, then by the Spirit of God, inspired people, men. And so yes, in one sense, it was men historically who wrote this, but it was God who then inspired them to write this. And even in the structure of that, man, we did a series one, uh, one uh, summer where we just went through the, the uniqueness of the Bible. 66 books, 40 different authors over a time span of 1,500 years. And yet this beautiful, integrated cohesive, redemptive story of God's love, of his plan 
for mankind and how he was going to rescue us. The scarlet thread, as it said, right? From Genesis to Revelation. Beautiful in its design. Right? Amazing how God used this. And of course, this is the vehicle that he chose. A written text. You know, the, the Greek word that's used there for word of God, that word, it's the word logos. And most times translated as you go through the Bible, it's translated as word or as, uh, it literally means uh, God's speech. Logos Dios. But there are several places in which it's also translated to describe Jesus himself. The same word, logos. In John chapter 1, we read, in the word, in the beginning was the word, logos. And the word was with God and the word was God. Of course, John is talking about Jesus. You drop down to verse 14 of John 1. And he says, in the word then took on flesh. And he dwelt or tabernacled amongst us. And so we can add in then that the word of God is synonymous with Jesus himself. And again, it just ties to our point. I'm going to state the obvious. Then it is through the word of God that we get to know the word of God, if you will. It's through God's word that we get to know who Jesus is and his love for you and his plan for you, his will for you. Bible study in itself is not an end in itself. It's like God's love letter to us. We read it so that we can know the author and fall in love with him. And so the word of God, again, I come with this presupposition, you agree that it is the Bible, it's scripture, it's the very thing that we're reading. Well, what are we told about the word of God? Well, first of all, we're told that it's living, that the word of God is alive. And we'll just park there for a second, think about that. The word of God is alive. We generally don't think of this, you know, as, you know, a living thing, right? A living document. But it's, in some ways, it's an an, inanimate object. It doesn't breathe, if you will, right? It doesn't, we don't have to feed this. It feeds us. But, you know, books in themselves, right? I mean, books in themselves can be uh, very inspiring. They can be moving, right? I mean, we read books and they can um, speak to our heart and inspire us and motivate us. And they can whisk us away to other lands and times. And, I mean, books in themselves are pretty amazing. They're a tremendous gift. Anybody here which considers yourself a bookworm or an avid reader? Anybody here love to read? See, I envy you guys. I, I'm not. Calvin and Hobbes is my jam right there, you know, like. I envy people that have that. My daughter was like that. I don't know where she got it from. I can't remember how many, uh, you know, what served her well now that she's in college, but I don't know how many times I could go by her door, you know, late at night, I'm closing up the house, and I'd see this glow under the, the door, and I'm opening it up, and there she is, you know, reading a book by flashlight or, you know, by her little side lamp. I'm like, what are you doing? I want to get, you know, mad at her, but she's reading, you know. <laughs> don't be reading, you know. Usually a glow under my door is, uh, it's not a book, it's my phone, I'm, I'm crushing digital candies, you know, that's my... <laughs> Listen, there's, there's a great number of books out there. I mean, spiritual books and you know, biographies and autobiographies, commentaries, you name it. I'm tempted. I wanted to park for a while and just talk about, too, the, we have to be careful, too, the things that we read. And there are books that also will present themselves as spiritual or present themselves even as Christian, but they're not. 
Uh, I think more and more we need to have great discernment. Uh, even might, what might be at the top of you know, a New York bestsellers list or the top of Amazon and Audible, gang, we, we have to be careful because there are some you know, people that package it, but it, you know, there's Bible verses around it, but when you open the content, all it is is just self-help repackaged. It just has a, 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 a biblical bow and nothing else about it is biblical. I mean, Spurgeon said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. And so what we discover about the Bible, this book is unique, is that it's living. And what it means by it's living, it means that it's spiritually alive. It's spiritually alive. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak to you are truth and they are life. And the spirit that gives life and the, pro- the flesh profits nothing. But the words I speak are not only truth and life, but they're spirit and they are life. You know, when, when we read of the uh, creation account, when God created man out of the dust of the ground, Adam, there in Genesis chapter 2, we're told that he formed man out of the dust of the ground, he made him a living bre- a being, and he then breathed into his nostrils, and then man became a living entity. Our creator God in his infinite power and grace created man, and he breathed life into his creation. He breathed life into what was lifeless. And in the same way, God then breathed, breathed if you will, life in through his word, Paul tells Timothy that all scripture is God-inspired or it's God-breathed. It's given of the Lord. And for you and for me, it's profitable. It's good for us. It tells us what God, who God is, right? Doctrine. It tells us what not to do. Correction. It tells us when we're not doing right, rebuke. And instructs us in the right way to go. And instruction in righteousness. So that what? So that you and I can be thoroughly equipped. Everything that we need to live a life that God's called us to live. And it happens through the scriptures. Again, it's alive spiritually. That's why sometimes when people read it, they don't get the same thing that you get when you read it. I mean, certainly it's written to a point where, you know, I mean, others can read it, and there's principles there that transfer, but there are sometimes there's things that are just hard to, for people who don't know the Lord to understand. I mean, even for us, even we, there's some things that are hard to understand. You're like, what is he talking about? You know, Paul tells the Corinthian church basically that. He tells them in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we haven't, we haven't received the spirit of the world, but we've received the spirit of God. And because we have the Spirit of God, we can understand then the things of God, spiritual things. And so then when we hear them, when they're taught them, it's not taught in human wisdom then, but it's taught by the Spirit. And the Spirit then uses spiritual things and spiritual expressions. And people who aren't spiritual, when they hear it, they can get part of it, but they don't get the whole thing. It just sounds weird to them. It sounds foreign to them. They can't fully track and so when they hear or they read it, it just sounds like foolishness. But we who are spiritual, we can understand because we're spiritually discerned, that scripture goes on to say. And we understand that in the natural. I mean, sometimes I get in a conversation with you know, a number of you are in the military, and I start to get in conversation with you, and you start using your military jargon, your acronyms. 
Now, I've been around here for 20 years, and most of you guys know I was a military brat, so I can track with most of it. I know all the, the common terms, you know, PCS season, and, you know, many of you guys, anytime you ask me to pray, it's like, I got a PFT, Pastor, pray for me. Okay, you know, I don't know how many PFTs I've prayed for over the years. But then there's other times where you're using letters and terms, I have no clue. And yet you're just going, and there's other people in the conversation, they're tracking, and I'm kind of like, oh, I'm just kind of lost, okay. Right? You know what it means, I don't know what it means. It's foreign to me, it sounds like, you know, uh, calling out bingo numbers, you know. <laughs> See, for those who don't have the spirit, it, it sounds foreign to them. They can't fully track and we understand that. Why? Because the Word of God is alive. It's spiritually alive. It's a spiritual book. Not only that, and not only is God's Word living, but in the sense it's living to the part where it imparts then life to the reader. And that's part of how it's powerful. It's not reserved for just that, but this is where I want to camp for a moment. It imparts life to us. No other book can do that. Oh, books can inspire us. They can motivate us. But they can't make us spiritually alive. Right? It's the it's Spirit of God that does it through the Word of God. Unique in all of, of all of the textbooks in this whole world. In, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus gives this parable of the sower and the seed. And the disciples, they're listening, but they don't quite track, which I appreciate. They understand the farming analogy. Oh, a sower went out, and he sowed these seeds, and he talks about these four different soils that the seed fell on, and each of them had a different result. Later on, the disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, I, we weren't quite tracking there. I got a little distracted. Can you explain it to us? And the Lord says, okay, sure. Let me break it down for you. And he says, the seed is the word of God. He likens the seed to the word of God. He likens the soil to the heart of a person. I mean, just that first analogy that he uses the word of God like a seed. And you think about that as a seed. You know, seed uh, is everything that uh, it, it holds the potential of life. Right? Like God in his creativity put all of the necessary DNA code in this little thing, the seed, right? And then you, you put it in the ground or you put it in water, or you put it in your pot and you add water, you know, you sing to it, you do what you do. And all of a sudden, that thing grows, right? It gives life. That is what the Word of God does. It's living, but it also gives life. Spiritual life. You know, summer's coming up, and here in Okinawa, if you've been around, you know what happens. The, the, the produce prices will go up, and the selection will go, it'll narrow, right? Fall and winter are great, because the produce prices go down, and the selection widens. But one blessing of summer, aside from the beaches, is watermelon. That's one of the fruits that will come out. You think about when you eat a watermelon, how many seeds that you come across, and you just, we just indiscriminately spit those things out, right? But all of them are the potential of life. All of them are the potential of growing more watermelon. Anyone ever try to grow watermelon? Yeah? Were you successful? Oh, yeah? You have some now? Oh. <laughs> I'm coming over. I like watermelon, right? But we understand. I mean, especially when you're a kid, right? Because at least when I was a kid, there are certain things, you know, there are certain things you didn't do, right? You didn't swallow gum. You didn't cross your eyes too long because they get stuck that way. And you didn't eat watermelon seeds, right? Because it'll grow in your stomach. And it's true. Look at it. 
The, the word of God is a seed. It has the code that will bring life to you. And God wants to plant that in the soil of your heart. And in one way, we get to dictate then what that soil looks like, right? If we're hard-hearted or we're willing to receive it. But make, make no mistake, though, it has the potential to produce a beautiful life, a transforming life, an abundant life, life that produces fruit, there's a time in the ministry of the Lord where he's going and he's teaching and, and people love to hear him gladly, the scripture says, but there's also a group that follow him just because he was a little bit of a kind of a show for them, right? All this, the miracles he was doing, the supernatural things that he was doing. And, and at one time he kind of turned to them and he said, and he, and he called them out. He's like, you know, some of you are only following me because you're getting a free meal. Then he said, surely I say to you that unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And people are like, ew, that's gross. Like he's talking about cannibalism? Ew, right? Of course, he was, he's speaking spiritually, right? The idea of partaking with him. I mean, it's kind of what we do with communion, we understand. But for some of them, they didn't track. It was just, that's a weird thing. And it says they left, they leave. And they left in big numbers. And the Lord then turns to the disciples and he says, okay, are you guys going to bail too? You remember what Peter says in response? It's one of the shining moments of Peter. He says, Lord, where are we going to go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. We understand it's the word of God that gives us life. It gives us eternal life. David said in Psalm 119, this is my comfort and my affliction. Your word has made me alive. Have you ever experienced that? You just had a bummer of a day and then you, you, know, you open up your Bible and then all of a sudden there's just a word there that God's speaking and it's like just for you. Or maybe it's a passage you've read, you've heard before, you know, a hundred times and all of a sudden you read it and it's like as though you've never read it before. You're like, I never noticed this. As though the Spirit of God just kind of, you know, amplified this particular verse or this particular passage. You're like, man, there's no other feeling like it, right? It's life-giving. To me, I equate it to like eating a good meal. Like, that was satisfying. That was so good, Lord. And when that happens, and if that's happened to you, you know what happens. It makes you hungry for more, right? It, it cultivates this appetite in you. You want more of that. And gang, that's my prayer for us. Here's my heart. I pray that as we read and we study, that we'll cultivate an appetite for the Word of God, for the things of God. And several years ago, I got to go on a missions trip to Africa. And uh, we got to go to uh, uh, Uganda and Rwanda specifically. And I, uh, very graciously, I was invited to go and teach at a pastor, well, not a pastor's conferences. Every day we had conferences. It was amazing. So a group of us, a group from the States, and then myself and Pastor Kevin uh, got to go. And so we, we go to Africa, and, and, and I was humbled and blown away. I mean, the group that came, there were guys from all over the place, not only Uganda, Rwanda, but like Burundi and Kenya and, um, uh, gosh, I always forget, what's at the south? Anyways, at the Congo and just that whole area. And a lot of them came by bus or some of them even walked you know you kind of hear those stories and and there they were 
and they were hungry for the word of God. We would teach these sessions for an hour. And when we were done, they're like, hey, come over here, pastor. And they'd sit down and, and they would just want to talk about the scriptures for hours. Presenting all kinds of crazy scenarios too. Like, oh, sorry, this is my notes. We don't have no third service. I can go, right? So they're like, pastor, I have this guy. He has three wives. He got saved. Which one does he keep? I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Uh, go ask Pastor Kevin. I don't you know. Just... But I was convicted because, man, my experience, I'll confess, like there's times even amongst pastors and, you know, in the States I go and then once a session's done, it's like, hey, let's go, you know, uh, get a burger. <laughs> let's go. Uh, these guys wanted to talk more about the Bible. They just wanted, they were, and so I, I was uh, inspired and convicted by that. Job 23, verse 12, it's a great verse. It says, I have not departed from your commands, Lord. I've treasured your word more than my daily food. Or Jeremiah 15, 16 says, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became a joy to me, a delight in my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord. Jeremiah 15, 16. Those are great verses. Gang, I pray for us. I pray for myself. That I would be hungry for the word of God. Outside of what I get to do in terms of studying and preparing for you. But just for my own walk with the Lord. Right? Some of you uh, are trying to convince me in my... Uh, trying to get a little bit healthier, like, hey, you should try exercising. I'm like, ah, I don't know, been there, done that. It just, you know. Like, no, if you exercise, you'll, you'll like it. If you run, you can get a light. I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so, you know. But I understand the principle. And so I'll use the same one. So when you read the Word of God, right, it begins then to speak in your heart and transform your heart. It will cultivate an appetite for the Word of God. And the more that you read, the more you'll want to read. And the more that you study, the more that you'll want to study. The more that you come to know Jesus, the more that you'll want to know Jesus, right? A hunger for the Word of God is created, it's cultivated by consuming the Word of God. And yes, there's a part of it, just like running and everything else, right? We're to discipline ourselves into godliness. It's not what my flesh wants. My flesh wants to sleep in, right? My flesh wants to... Uh, well, it wants Mr. Donuts is what it wants, right? And other things. It wants spiritual junk food. But when the word is alive in us, we will want more of it. It gives life. It is life. It's alive. Amen? All right. Father, thank you. Even as we just step into the doorway of this great verse, I pray, Lord, that our own heart, I pray, God, we'd be like the, the two guys on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus, you open the scriptures. Man, I wish that Bible study was recorded. And we're told that when they thought about it, it says, did not our hearts burn within us? That's a good heartburn, Lord. I pray that our hearts would burn like that. Having heard your word, having heard the scriptures, Lord, that you would cultivate in us a hunger for more of the scriptures. Other churches and other chapels, they might focus on other things. Lord, for us, we want to focus in on rightly dividing your word of truth. It is by the gospel, it is by your word in which we grow in our faith. 
Lord, help us like newborn babes to desire the pure milk of your word that we might grow thereby. Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you for, for those who come and they endure week in and week out, Lord. Bless them, fill them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.